Good morning, River Church. My name is Julie Sampras. Happy Father's Day. Thanks for being here with us this morning. We have been going through some difficult times and we've had a few really tough weeks, especially, and we're grateful that you've joined us um, through the tough conversations and through these tough days. Uh, we have another good service planned for you this morning and I'm gonna pray for us to get it started. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for being with us in this beautiful space. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for guiding us, for giving us wisdom, grace, as we navigate through these times. Lord, thank you for uh, the River Church and our community and all the wonderful dads. We pray for them, especially. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, River. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get started in some musical worship. Would you bow your head with me? God, thank you so much for this beautiful day, God. It's another day, Lord, that we get to walk on this earth and encourage those around us, Lord, and to delight in you and have you delight in us. Um, God, we just pray for every family, every person that is watching right now, God, that you would bless them. Um, Lord, that you would draw near to them as we draw near to you. God, would you inhabit our praise this morning, Jesus. We love you. We pray this all in your beautiful, holy, powerful name. Amen. worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great He has done great things, yeah. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You freed every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awakened alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. So you've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again For your promises, yes and amen You will do great things God, you do great things, yeah Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave You free every captive and break every chain, oh God, you have 
your freedom awakened alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done great things hallelujah and hallelujah god above it all Oh, hallelujah, you have done great things. And hallelujah, God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things, you've done great conquered the grave you free every captive and break every chain oh god you have done great things we're dancing your freedom awakened alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done great Your freedom awakened alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. Oh, I. Thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good Father, it's who you are. 
One thing that he's taught you how to do. He's taught me how to boogie board. He taught me how to bike ride and switch gears. One thing that my dad taught me is that how to make French toast, and he made a beautiful backyard for me. He taught me how to fish. Mom, he taught me how to play baseball. How to play baseball? Yes, he has. Sets of fishing poles for us so we can go fishing. He taught me how to play baseball better and 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 always stay focused on the ball. He taught me how to play basketball. He taught me how to get really good at math. And what is your favorite, favorite thing about your dad? Uh, that he's really funny and he tickles me a lot. Uh. That he's funny and um, 
that he'll say yes if we ask him to list the beach always. <laughs> Oh, I love going fishing with my dad. Going fishing and yeah. apparently eating chip, chips with him? Yeah, that's the chips. I really like when we go out, like bowling or something, that we haven't done that in a few years. And I love going to Chick-fil-A with him. Going to Chick-fil-A with him. My dad taught me how to ride my bike when I was five years old, and I love that he got me a puppy. Happy Friday day. Love you, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. We both enjoy playing baseball together. Really love about daddy. I love that he is a big surfer and he has those cool shorts. My dad is really good at fixing things. I like to play soccer with him and make sports. Happy Father's Day, Daddy. So glad that you're my dad, and I'm so also so glad that you taught me how to surf. Say love you. Bubble daddy. I love you daddy. Lovely daddy. Happy Father's Day daddy. I love you with all my heart. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Love you daddy. Hey, River Church, just wanted to give you a quick update before the message this morning. We're going to continue our online services, and uh, that's going to continue right through the summer. We've also asked several of you to uh, open up your homes, your backyards for the summer. We call it River Home Church, to sit down and watch the service together. And many have done that. We're encouraging you to invite your friends some family, people you know, and sit down and listen to the service together and just have a discussion and a prayer time. It's going great. We have several going right now. We want to see more continue through the summer. One last thing. July 12th, we will begin a service at the Norris. We're going to meet outside in the parking lot. It'll be a family service. So your older kids will be with you. Your younger kids will have some child care options. And then July 19th, we're going to do our full-blown children's program and a service in the parking lot of the Norris and see how that goes. We may do two services, but we're going to start with one. And we're going to continue online and home church. So I hope that helps. Hey, listen in. I am going to have a conversation with a very dear friend. I reached out to Paul Cody. I'm on his board. Uh, Young Life back in uh, uh, New York City. Uh, Paul is the vice president of the Northeastern Region for Young Life. And I just asked Paul some very pertinent questions to the conversation that we're continuing to have in this culture today. So Paul Cody, hey, we got Paul hey. Cody in the house. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you as usual. So, Paul, tell everybody, who are you? you? I mean, a lot of people know you. You've been to our church. You've, you've preached at the beach. Um, 
as of November 15th, I became the vice president for the Northeast Atlantic subdivision, which basically is the, the rest of the Eastern seaboard. So now I oversee uh, basically New Jersey to Maine. It's a gigantic territory. A lot of kids, it is. A, lot of, a lot of young kids. It is. Yeah. Well, tell me, let's jump right in, Paul. I mean, we, sure. we've been talking and conversing with African-American leaders, pastors. We want to keep the dialogue open. We really do. We want to listen and hear. I just want to know where you're at with all this. Kind of what, you know, I had kind of three questions for you. And the first is, you know, how, how are you feeling? And what, what do you really want the river to know from your perspective? You know, I would say the thing I would want the river to know is this. In this country for a long time, people have kind of turned blind eyes to this. Even knowing me, that this is part of my life's experience, right? As well adjusted as I am, as easy as it is for me to either code switch or migrate between two cultures because of the way I grew up. I, I could very well be any one of the list of people that we know of recently. Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. If you go back, I mean, even further to one of the bigger landmarks that you saw, when you saw Trayvon Martin, you saw Tamir Rice, you saw Eric Gardner. And to be honest, that, that uh, racism and racial tension has it intensified, it's just now broadcast. I said this to someone the other day. I said, you know, I've walked in, in many of places and I've seen, you know, uh, white women or white men clutch their briefcases or their purses out of fear. I have that same experience when I think about police, that I clutch my wife and I clutch my kids and I hold them closer because I'm always wondering is something going to happen to me or to them that I can't control. And I'd say last but not least, that because I love the Lord the way I do, I still think there's a path forward, a path forward that we can be a part of both hard, hard dialogue, but also an element of change. Yeah. You know, for, um, I, I really appreciate the River Church. I mean, they're listening in. This is the third week that we have focused, clearly focused on kind of what is our role? What is our responsibility? What has God called us to? And the passage this morning that we're going to look at is in Second Corinthians chapter 511 to chapter 6, verse 2, that we have the ministry of reconciliation, that we are to reconcile all people to Christ. And one of the ways to reconcile people to Christ, introduce them to Christ, is to know them, get to know them and learn and listen yes, and understand. And uh, so that's what we're doing. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And that's we're going to stay on focus as a church on that. So, and I guess my question to you is personally, how should we be feeling about this? And um, what should the Christian community be feeling? We're being very cautious about hearing from the media or buying into an organization or another agenda. We're not buying into anybody else's organization or agenda. We are living out the gospel with brothers and sisters. And we want to understand how we should be feeling in this whole process and where uh, you feel like it's taking us. You know, I would say one of the ways you should feel is Micah 6, 8, you know, walk humbly, do justly before the Lord your God, that informs 
how you look at each of these situations and the and the way that you move, right? Mm. And so when you look at um, justice, the justice also requires some action and some change. But I'll come back mm -hmm. to that in a minute. I hear Todd. Here's the biggest thing I would say, right? I've had several calls where people have apologized and apologized and over apologized and said, you know, I'm embarrassed and I feel guilty. I heard that a couple of times. And the, and the one thing I said was guilt is a paralysis to action, right? If, if you feel guilty, you will never move. Why? So why should you not feel guilty? You shouldn't feel guilty because you didn't do it. You also shouldn't feel guilty if you don't condone it and if you haven't condoned it. But again, just like I feel the tension to say, hey, I don't represent every black person that you know on the face of the earth, neither do you all represent every white person that I've seen on the face of the earth either. So to take on the guilt of an entire community or group of people is at a bare minimum not helpful but at a max it becomes totally unproductive because it does not give you an opportunity to now move and to lean in i think one of the other things you're doing now is listening and doing a lot of listening and that's helpful because when you listen you know it's the old stephen covey thing you seek to understand before you seek to be understood the more you understand, the easier it gets for you to move in, in a, a positive direction, right? Um, because once you've listened, you can actually say, oh, this is what I need to do. Not because you assumed it or guessed it, but because you listened long enough to have a clear enough picture of what a next step needs to look like or what it could be. Mm -hmm. Three, I would say, you know, marching and protesting is not for everybody. I know that's one of the things people talk about often. Well, you know, should I give money to the cause or should I march and protest? And those things may not be your lane, but there is a lane. There are enough lanes in this thing for you to get in one and do something, right? And so part of that could be, I really do think, the conversations that we have in our smaller circles, you don't see it immediately, but you will see it over time. So it's the time when someone makes an insensitive comment that you, you know in your heart of hearts that you don't agree with, that you don't let go. And at a bare minimum, you say, hey, I'm really uncomfortable with that last statement you made. And so whether that kind of spurs on a, a healthy discussion or not, at the bare minimum, they know that that's not a conversation that you stand for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, Todd, the biggest thing is, and I think you and I had part of this conversation, is, and you said this earlier, leaning into and understanding your privilege is a big deal. Because if, from my vantage point, if you cannot understand that you have privilege, then there's no way you can understand if, if there is a racial issue within your heart that you have to deal with. Yeah, I've kind of said it this way in a couple of circles. Um, supremacy is the foundation upon which racism is built, but it first expresses itself in privilege, right? 
And so when you don't understand that you have privilege or you don't think you have privilege or you disavow that you have privilege, it never gives you the opportunity to see the issue for what it is and to see it with clarity. I appreciate that. And I appreciate um, you challenging us, Paul, as a church uh, to dig deeper, to think harder, longer, uh, to be humble, uh, to recognize the things that God has given us that we can steward. It's about stewarding, isn't it? It's stewarding it what God has given it you. It is. Um, and I it think that's the focus. Because no one is asking people to give up privilege. You couldn't do that if you tried. No. But how you, how you leverage it and how you point it and, and who it benefits is a totally different conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Paul, what else would you say in a few, few words or a few, uh, just a few minutes? What else do you really want to say that's on your heart? I'd say keep learning, right? I'd say keep learning. Having a sounding board like me and other uh, black pastors is really helpful, um, but it's more helpful when you actually continue to do some of the work yourself. To be honest, we can't be the, the, the only source for how you learn, grow, and develop. Mm-hmm. And as, as when, it, when it comes to developing um, a more healthy uh, racial understanding. Any other thoughts that uh, come to mind um, that could potentially uh, be part of this little um, interview that uh, we could kind of splice together if, if there's something, other, other thoughts that you have? Uh, you know what, Todd? I actually say as much as you, as if people want to stay away from the media, to some degree, you actually have to pay attention to it so that you know what angle people are coming from. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many, there are so many baiters in the midst of this, in the middle of this, and, and, and people who are continually trying to create a divide in it, you mm-hmm. actually really want to be able to discern who is who when they, when they approach you, because they will. What do you say um, to the person that, uh, you know, is doing their best to keep an open mind and to understand uh, is trying to stay away from the, the rhetoric and the agendas mm-hmm. and is concerned about that and wants to stay focused on God's word and the truth and what, what the Lord has to say in the, in the, in the scriptures. What do you say to a person like that that's really trying to navigate that? I'd say as you look at the, as you look continue, as they continue to dive and engage in the scriptures, one of the things that is talked about pretty significantly and often is the issue of justice and the different ways that Jesus brought justice for people, whether it was Mm -hmm. uh, flipping over the, the table in the temple from the money changers. You notice he didn't destroy the temple. He didn't, he didn't ruin the temple, but he flipped over that which was making the temple bad, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at um, the woman caught in adultery, how does he bring her justice? He has, to, he has to help outline the rest of the injustice of the people around him that they've seen so that he can get her to a point and say, okay, I, I see what you've done now. Now sin no more. Uh, the other thing I would say is it's hard 
Todd, but people don't look away. If you look at the story of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the problem with that was is that people saw him and looked away. It was very easy for them to look away, whether they were busy or distracted. They, look, they looked at him, they saw him, and they looked away. And that's the thing. I'd say if you're really following Jesus and following his scripture and you don't want to get involved uh, in all of the rhetoric, you can do that and not look away. Because what you're seeing right now is something that is as close to the Lord's heart as anything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see mercy and justice all throughout the Old Testament, don't you? All right over. through into the New Testament. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And Jesus, you see him even with the distress and the downcast. I mean, his, his heart of compassion towards people in oppression, people in poverty, uh, people that were being treated differently than others in that society. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking into it, when you look into the law of the Lord that gives freedom, right? It gives, it gives you freedom to act. And so if you're in the middle of it, you don't really have to be in the middle of the rhetoric to actually understand what the Lord is asking and to mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. That's a good word, Paul. That is a really good word. That's a challenge to all of us, isn't it? Every single it one of us. And to stay above that and keep stay on the high ground with God's word as our guide. And what you find is the Lord driving you to live out justice, live out mercy. Micah 6, 8, as you point out, that is a really good word. Thank you, Paul. You've got to keep learning and growing and, and reading and, you know, entering into conversations that help stretch you are great because you start to see so many different sides of the equation. And no, I mean, there are going to be people who are willing, are, are willing to help. I think the other side of this for me, Todd, has been I feel like the Lord has given me a voice and a passion to want to help. That I'm not so angry that I can't dive in and and help and be a resource and a blessing where I can. Yeah, yeah. You have a lot of resources, Paul. You're a leader. You're respected. I've seen you uh, teaching to thousands of young people. And you have, you have a powerful voice. You know God's word. You have a soft heart. And I know this is um, this is this is on your heart right now. And um, I, I just want to thank you for sharing just a few minutes with us and uh, sharing your heart with us and and what you're thinking and 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 the challenge. I appreciate the challenge that's come our way. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, River. Love you guys. Can't wait to get back out. For the past three weeks, we have been listening in. We've had a listening ear, and I sure appreciate Paul Cody and his words, his friendship, but also his honesty. We've been asking the question, how does the church respond in a time like this? Now what do we do? Do we wrap it up? Do we tie a, a, a beautiful bow around it and set it aside? Do we continue the conversation? 
I just have one more thing to say, and I wanna open up the scriptures with you this morning, but first, I just wanna thank you. I wanna thank you for staying in the conversation with us. I wanna thank you for your humility. I wanna thank you for your openness to listen, to understand, to step out of your comfort zone. I appreciate that. I've, I've received a lot of feedback, probably more feedback than I've ever received before. Great feedback, some good, good comments, some uh, careful criticisms, um, it's all good. We're gonna make it through this, we're gonna be better for it. This is strengthening us as followers of Christ to think more clearly and be more focused about what God has for us in this moment. What is the Lord saying to us? I mean, what really is the message to the church in this moment in time? I want to open up a passage of scripture, and I believe this is the passage of scripture that the Lord gave me that brings together a conclusion, kind of concludes our discussions, concludes our thought process, brings us to a point of action. See, it's not over. We as a church are called upon to be Christ's representatives in the world today. And that's what we're going to look at. Out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, I encourage you to take a look at this passage. As Paul brings to a, a kind of a crescendo his argument in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, here in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians is the crescendo of his argument about the role of the church in society. And this is what Paul says. He says, listen in, in verse 14. The love of Christ controls us. How about that for a start? The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, that is Jesus. Therefore all died. And he died for all. So that they who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, the new things have come. Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you hear how many times Paul uses the word reconcile? I think, that, I think that's the theme. So we beg you on behalf of God to be reconciled to him. He who made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. And in chapter 6, by the way, in the verse 2 verse, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says the acceptable time, I listen to me, 
the acceptable time of salvation is now. The day has come. See, I think the Apostle Paul is bringing to a close an argument he's making to a first century church that had become divided. There was a division that happened in 1 Corinthians, a division between rich and poor. Corinth was an up-and-coming, prominent city-state in the Roman province of Acacia. And this powerful city was a place of opportunity for many to come and make wealth, create wealth, and to rise up, and yet not from very many. Most of the city, like most urban cities in Rome, were poor. Most people were poor. And one-third of most urban communities were slaves. It was a voluntary slavery as a way of life to stay out of poverty. But it was slavery. And so there was this division. There was a division between those that have had and those that didn't have in Corinthian, in Corinthia. And so what we find in this passage is Paul brings to a conclusion his call to a church to no longer be divided by wealth and poverty, by status, but to rise above it and to be Christ's representatives as reconcilers of God. That's what Paul has for the church today. In a time in which there is great division, as, uh, as one particular uh, uh, commentator says, author, this is a well-known individual, NFL football player, a great coach, Tony Dungy said these words in a time like this. He said, America is in a very sad place. There's senseless killings. Uh, people are pointing fingers. There's anger. There's bitterness. He says, it's really divided our country. And then he talks about the fact that the answer lies with the Christian who needs to lead the way forward. Do you get where he's going? The answer lies with us to lead the way forward. How are we going to do that? Not by fighting other people. Satan is enjoying, as Tony Dungy says, this, this division that's happening. He's loving it. He's, he's soaking it up for all it's worth because it's dividing people, creating hatred. And yet Christians are need to rise above and be the solution to the problem today. That's what Dungy says. It's the answer, the world's problems, is this, according to Paul. We are to become reconcilers for God. That's exactly our call. That's what he's called us to. That's the mission he's given us, to be reconcilers of God. See, we live in a time when we see the problem of the world so clear in front of us. I mean, this is, this is from the beginning of time, from the dawn of creation. We have one problem, and we have lived with this problem, and we have tried to overcome this problem in many different ways. And yet, Paul says there's only one answer to it. The problem is sin. The problem is what I call self deference. I looked it up thinking, 
can you do, can you even use that word? Can you put self and deference together? Deference is to give someone else uh, authority over your life or, or to uh, or to submit to someone else. But the self-submission, the idea of self-submission or the self-deference is the idea that I'm most important. My view is most important. And yet that has created the problem of sin. The Bible calls sin lawlessness. First John chapter 3, verse 4, that sin is lawlessness. When we break the law of God. See, the creator God of the universe has a way, has a plan. And when we go against it, it's sin. And that causes the division in the world. Dungy's pointing to that and saying Christians need to rise above the narrative of the day and be the answer, which is reconciliation. So we got to talk about this. We got to ask the question because the passage says that we have been reconciled with God and that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. That's what Paul says. So how does that happen? Well, first we need to understand what reconciliation is. And then I have three things to point out to you that I think will guide us, that will drive us forward. Okay? So first of all, let's talk just briefly about what reconciliation is. Reconciliation literally means becoming a friend of God. See, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says that we have peace with God. There, there's a prior to a reconciliation, we were at odds with the creator of the world. There was animosity, animosity. There were consequences for that. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus the condemning, the condemnation, the consequence has been settled. There is now peace with God. We have become friends with God because of Christ. And now because we have that, we invite others into that relationship. See, reconciliation literally means an exchange, an exchange of a consequence of sin for a new condition that Christ brings. That's what it is. Reconciliation is a great exchange. The old for the new. The way in which we've messed things up for the way in which Christ has brought new life through himself. See, his righteousness for our guilt, for our sin, for the shame that it's brought on us. I mean, that's the answer. That is the answer. We, we want to talk about reconciliation. Here it is. Reconcile all to that. So we no, may no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ. So that's reconciliation. This is an amazing exchange. It doesn't even seem like God would look at it and say it's even worth it, right? I mean, what are we giving in the exchange? We're giving up our, our junk. We're giving up our, everything about us. That is, that is rot, rotten, that is left us alienated from him, that is, that is really destroyed our lives for something that changes everything in us. So let's look at three things that we need to understand about what 
God is calling us into. By the way, the message that I want to give you is entitled, Build Bridges, Not Drawbridges. Build Bridges, Not Drawbridges. And the reason why I entitled it that way is because because of this great exchange that you and I get to participate in, we now have the opportunity to offer it to others. That's our role. That's what God has called us to, clear and simple. That's a bridge into culture. That's a bridge into other people's lives, not a drawbridge. A drawbridge is something you draw up to keep people out. A bridge is something you go over to be inclusive. So how do we accomplish this? How does the church, how do you accomplish this? I find three things. It's uh, verse 14, verse 16, and verse 18. The love of Christ is the very first thing. Notice what it says. For the love of Christ controls us. And here's my first point. Let the love of Christ control you. You, you've, this is where it begins. You will not be a reconciler of people to God until the love of Christ controls you. That's the first thing we learn in this passage. It's his love. How does God get people to do what he wants them to do? Is it out of coercion? Is it based upon a law that he demands us to fulfill? It says it right here. The love of Christ controls us. When you are controlled by the love of Christ, you desire to do what God wants. But you got to be controlled by the love of Christ. You've got to be overwhelmed by it. Uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful song. John Mark McMillan wrote a song called How He Loves. And in this song, it's a beautiful song. Listen to it. Uh, he loves like a hurricane. We are a tree that's bending beneath the weight of his wind and his mercy. Do you, do you, the power of his love is, it's like a hurricane. God's love is like a hurricane in your life if you truly get it, if you truly understand it. As, as, as Paul says, that love controls us. That powerful love, like a hurricane, the word control is to, is, means literally to bring together all the parts to bring together in a powerful way. That's the idea of control. It reminds me of making sourdough bread. When we make sourdough bread, the key to sourdough bread is the structure. You work with the bread over a period of 24 hours before you bake it. Why? You don't just let it sit and rise. You work it. You work it. You work it. And as you work the bread, you are creating a structure so it holds together. And then finally, when you put it in the oven and it bakes, it comes out and it's just, it's just amazing. It, it tastes great. It looks great. It's fluffy. It has some air pockets in it. And it, it holds together because of the structure. Your life holds together and has a purpose because you are being controlled. The structure in your life is being developed by the love of Christ. Let me illustrate it. Many years ago, we went with a great, some great friends to a homeboy uh, uh, year-end uh, support raising, development, and uh, what they call an award ceremony. They hand out awards and, 
And uh, Homeboy is an amazing organization, amazing ministry. Uh, Father Boyd down in uh, Los Angeles reaches out into the gang population, into the prisons, and brings young men and women out and gives them a job. I mean, his whole point is is that uh, nothing stops a bullet like a job. I mean, it's just an amazing organization. So we sat there all night with this couple. And by the way, this couple doesn't go to church. They don't believe the same things that I'm talking about here. But they're great friends. We love them. We respect one another. And what I saw over the course of the evening was two individuals overwhelmed by the love of Christ that was demonstrated in that room by all the testimonies of how lives were changed by Christ. And I saw some checks written. I saw someone do something what I consider to be irrational because of the love of Christ. Be careful. When you are overwhelmed by the love of Christ, you will do irrational and reckless things with your life. But there's something else here. By the way, all of this is on the basis of what Christ has done for you. He has died for you. He went to the cross. He laid down his life so that you no longer live, but you live through him. Do you see that? It's the great exchange. Now, moving on, there's a second point that I think keeps us heading in the right direction. Not only the love of Christ, but notice this. The second thing is this, and listen, this is important. Verse 16, we are no longer to see others on the basis of their limitations, but on the basis of of their potential. The possibilities. Now, where do I get that from? Notice where Paul goes in verse 16. Therefore, we now recognize no one according to the flesh. Do you see that? Why does Paul say that? I, it, I rack my brain over about a week trying to figure out what does it mean that we recognize no one by the flesh? What does that mean? We are not to recognize anybody the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is a In Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. The new things have come. These things are from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ. What's the idea? You and I, it's so easy for us to recognize people on the basis of their limitations. And what Paul's saying is that's what we did with Christ. He gives the example. He says, when Christ was on the earth, the disciples saw him on the basis of his limitations. They didn't see him on the basis of his resurrected life. After his resurrected life, they saw him no longer on the basis of his limitations, but the possibilities of his full potential. And what, Paul, what Paul's saying is, we are to do the same thing. If we are to be reconcilers to God for other people, you gotta, you got to be controlled by the love of Christ, but you got to stop seeing people on the basis of their limitations and start seeing people on the basis of their full potential. Notice what, what's happening here. The reconciliation, being made in friendship with God is something that God does. We don't do it. It's already done. This is done. Reconciliation in the world between all people and God has been accomplished in Christ. It just needs to be received. 
You just need to be willing to say, I want to become a friend of God. But you and I play a role in that, in that we are no longer limiting other people. Limitations destroy people. Personal, when I have a personal limitation, when I hang on to something, I become a victim, don't I? I I literally hang on to a limitation and that limits my full potential as a person. With Paul saying, the old things are gone. I'm a new creature. I am literally a new creature. I have been recreated. The world, in one sense, as Shakespeare would say, is my oyster. Not, a, not, not from a selfish perspective, but from, from the perspective that I can make anything I want out of life in God. See, when I hold on to a limitation, I'm holding on to the limits and I'll never break free. But you and I have the opportunity to speak the truth into people's lives and to speak the possibility, the full potential of being reconciled to God, of stepping out of a victim mentality, out of seeing your limitations, and stepping into a relationship with God gives you a whole new world of possibilities, of seeing the world differently, of living differently. It's available. You and I get to that opportunity every single day. There's a third thing that Paul says here, and in this passage he says, Beyond the fact that that's happened, the love of Christ controls us. You and I have the responsibility of seeing people not on the basis of their limitations, but their full potential. The third thing is, is he says now that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have a responsibility. And the third thing is go where no one will go. You and I have been called to go where no one else will go. Well, where do I get that from? Well, look at it. The ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed us to the world of reconciliation. Therefore, we are what? Here it is. We are ambassadors of Christ. Think of the idea of an ambassador. I mean, in the Roman era, an ambassador was was a general, was a legate, a legate. And this legate was, uh, was an individual that through coercion would represent the, the emperor in a particular region that was conquered. And, and that's not the, the, the way in which Paul is using this word. It's not out of dominance. It's not out of coercion. It's not out of control. It's a different kind. It, it reminds me of a United States ambassador. I met one once. I was in Rwanda with Tommy Allen with a couple other buddies when we were visiting the country and Tommy uh, had, uh, who is living in Rwanda and serving the Rwandan young people to help bring education into their life. It's amazing ministry. Well, he's befriended the ambassador. This was many years ago. And we arrived, he said, let's go meet the ambassador. I'm like, seriously, we're gonna go meet an ambassador. We pull up, none of us have our passports, no identification on us. We get to the front, you go through the barricades, and the guards are looking at us like, you, you can't get into an embassy without identification. The United States ambassador comes out and walks into the guard station and reaches over and grabs Tommy and hugs him. Reaches out his hand and introduces himself to us. And Tommy says, these are my dear friends from the United States. This is my pastor from the United States. And he looks at us and says, any friend of Tommy is a friend of mine. 
come on in. And we walk through these guards and the guys with machine guns and we walk into the ambassador's office and sit down and have a chat with an ambassador of the United States. How was that possible? I'll tell you why. The goodwill of Tommy Allen, that he had built so much goodwill in a relationship that it enabled us to be able to have a relationship. See, that's the point. That's ambassadorship. You and I have that opportunity every day to be ambassadors for Christ, to go where no one else. Think of an ambassador. Most ambassadors, they don't really choose that particular country. They're called to go there. See, you and I are called to go where no one else goes. Where is that place that God is calling you to go to be ambassador of reconciliation to God? That's what you got to ask yourself this morning. Where is he calling you to go? It's going to be maybe someplace no one else wants to go. See, you got to leave home to be an ambassador. You got to leave your home. The leave comfort, leave the place that is most comfortable to you. It reminds me of John chapter 4. Is this not the point? When Jesus goes to Samaria, he could have gone around. Jews would go around. A rabbi would go around. Jesus went straight through where no one else would go. And he went through Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans, there was great hatred. Tremendous divide. And he sat at a well and a woman shows up. And he engages someone and reconciles her to God. He goes where no one else would go. The disciples couldn't understand it. That's what you and I get to do every day. This drives me. This is my passion in life. If there's a message that I want to leave behind, this is the message. This is the exact message. This is what I love to do. I've got to be honest with you. If I had an opportunity to spend a weekend away with my buddies that don't know Christ, that don't go to church, and do some great adventure and hang out or go to a Christian conference. It's, there's nothing wrong with a Christian conference, but I'm just being totally honest with you. I would jump at the chance to hang out with my unchurched buddies. That's what I love to do. It's my passion. See, I get... For some reason, I just get this. It's part of who God has made me to be. And I love being an ambassador. And I wrote four things down if you want to be an ambassador. Here's what you got to do. First of all, you got to get to know someone. You got to discover who they are. And then what I often do is establish common ground or mutual interests. I love that. I have a lot of different interests. I read widely. I, I love to do lots of different things. I'm always up for an adventure. It was a way this... A couple weekends ago when we were sitting by the pool relaxing, I jumped up and I'm like, okay, it's time for a swim in the ocean. And this buddy of mine looks over and goes, are you always on the move? And I said, no, no, I can, I can sit and enjoy and relax, but I'm up for an adventure. I'm up for something. I'm always up for that. And I can make a connection with that. That's what we're to do. Make connections by getting to know people. And then the second thing is join them in it. I'll go along. I'll do that. I'd be happy to do that. I'd love to do that. Let's go do that. That's joining. And the third thing I wrote is in the process, you live out your faith in the most natural way you know how. 
You just live out your faith in Christ. Be honest about your relationship with Christ in that context. You know, if, if no one's praying for the meal, you don't have to stop and, and do something awkward in the middle of it. Enjoy the moment. Live out your faith in the context in which you have been given. Honoring your faith, honoring your commitment to Christ, but also recognizing the context you're in. Does that make sense? That could potentially be misunderstood. But I want to just point that out, that that's just living out your faith in the most natural, honest way you can. And here's the fourth thing I wrote about being an ambassador. Be a good explainer of God. You and I have been called upon to explain God to people. And if you can't figure out how to explain God in words that make sense for other people, we're not going to be reconcilers. You got to do it. You got to do it. And here's the bottom line. Reconciled people become reconcilers of others. I wanted to end with a challenge. Um, And if you've had enough of the dialogue over the last three weeks and the narrative has really just exhausted you, then do not read this book. This book was written in 1984, by the way, way before any of this happened. Unexpected News, Reading the Bible with Third World Eyes, written by uh, a professor up at uh, Pacific uh, Theology, School of Theology up in Berkeley, California. And I don't necessarily agree with all that it it says in here, but it's given me new eyes to see the scriptures in light of the third world. First world, third world. Uh, And he opens with a quote from Desmond Tutu, and I want to leave you with this. As a thought, as a challenge, as we kind of um, bring to a conclusion some thinking and some structure and some application to where we've been in the last uh, several weeks, as we now move next week into a new exciting series out of Revelation chapter 2 and 4, seven messages Jesus wants to bring the church. Here's what Desmond Tutu says. If you are neutral in a situation of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has his foot on the tail of a mouse and you say you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. Just think about that. Think about your role in the world today as a reconciler to God. What good is it to gain the whole world But lose your soul What good is it to make a sweet sound But remain proud In view of God's mercy I offer my all And take my life Let it be everything All of me Here I am Use me for your glory In everything I say and do Let my life honor you Here I am Living for you nowhere 
life I live it finds meaning in surrender in view of God's mercy I offer my all and take my life
the Savior's love through the storm. He is the Lord, Lord of all. When darkness, when darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil My anchor holds within the veil Oh Christ Dressed in his righteousness alone, a faultless stand before the throne in Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. storm through the storm he is a lord through the storm Jesus, we come to you, God. You are Lord through the storm. And Lord, I I am here. We are here for you. Lord, would you just be with us? Would we learn to see you and hear you more, God, and follow your commands? Encourage and minister to one another as you encourage and minister to us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Remember, we're ambassadors of God's love. Let's get out and spread the love of Jesus. Let's teach people who Jesus is and what he's about and that he is ultimately our healer. Have a great week. See you soon.